Gideon, mighty man of valor. So I did my best to keep with Tom's theme of I dare you. Uh, we're going to go through Gideon today. We're going to read in Judges 6. So if you have your Bible, I hate when Tom calls it an analog Bible, but if you have your physical paper-bound Bible, turn to Judges 6. If you have your phone, your iPad, turn to Judges 6. Give you guys some time, because I'm going to make you open up your Bibles one way or the other and read them. Oh, good. I made the font incredibly too small for me to read from this distance. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was. Whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land and destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out, to the Lord. Things were not going well for Israel. Things looked bleak. Death was rampant. But interestingly, God doesn't raise up heroes in times of ease. God raises up heroes when things are difficult. As is best illustrated by this man. You all know him, right? It's all familiar to every single one of you. Who is this man? Somebody raise their hand. Anybody? Anybody know who this man is? Albert Einstein. Okay. Steve, did somebody say Steve Garvey? Garfield. Well, this is, you guys are terrible. This is the 22nd president of the, this is 21st president of the United States. This is Chester Arthur, of course. President from 1881 to 1885. What's going on from 1881 to 1885? We're going through the Industrial Revolution. Things are great. Things are going so well, we can't believe it. If I put up George Washington, would all of you know who that was? If it was just his picture, would you know who Abraham Lincoln was? Because these were men that led us in difficult times. God doesn't raise up heroes when things are easy. Today we're going to be considering the story of Gideon. Um, I'm not the linguist that my little brother Tom is. Um, So instead we're going to go through this the way I do with the high school and junior hires. I'm going to try and make this relatable. I want you guys to feel who Gideon is. I want you to think about his story because often we go through the Bible and we're reading about Midianites and Amalekites and camels. And none of us have any experience with this type of life. And so things easily get lost in translation. And not difficult translation. We can read and understand who they are. It's just that we can't relate to it very well. So this is actually going to be a four-part series. 
I'm not going to be speaking four weeks in a row, I hope. Well, actually, I know. Um, but I am going to slowly walk you through who Gideon is. So today, we're going to meet Gideon. That's today's main goal. But before we can meet Gideon, we've got to have some context as to where Gideon is. So let's first ask, what is Israel like? Well, in the south, Israel has desert, high plains. It's very arid. In the central area of Israel, there's a lot of farming. It's lush green lands. Over on that east-south side, there's all these mountains where water comes up in clouds and then goes over the central valley and it rains a whole bunch. And up north, there's a whole bunch of forests. What, ironically, for us, does Israel strike you as? Seattle. I would suggest to you it's a lot like California. Except it's a 20th the size. Next slide, Marilyn. There's California with Israel. I got that pretty close, too. I actually measured things. It was crazy. But think about us. Southern area, we're desert. We drink everybody's water. In the center of the country, at the center of the state, there's a whole bunch of farming, right? We all know that. And in the to- northern top part of the state, there's, it's forest everywhere. Very much similar to what we are used to. So note that what stands cars, cell phones, and everything else we ex- enjoy today, Gideon lives in an area very much like California. When is this all occurring? Well, this is where we have a harder time relating. This is occurring in the 12th century BC, the 1100s, right? In the 1100s, you have people entering the Americas early on. You have the Trojan-Spartan War, also known as the Trojan War, where Sparta comes in and pretty much wipes out the the Trojans. Um, Great time for horses and mohawks. Oh, we got part of it got cut off. Oh, well. Uh, we also have the Phoenician alphabet. This is the first time an alphabet is discovered, and one can only presume a horrible song that will never exit in the, the, the world. A, B, C, D, E, G. We're exiting the Bronze Age. We're entering into the Iron Age. I tell you that from the standpoint that this is a time of technological expansion in the old world. Iron much, less, uh, much stronger than bronze. It is more brittle, but it's also much stronger. And it's a time when people are discovering new things, similar to today. If you go to Judges 4 in your Bible, you'll see Deborah and Barak. They are basically fighting similar battles about 30 miles north. 30 miles. You may be wondering how far away is 30 miles. It's about, I don't know, here to the block at Orange, here to the Angel Stadium. Not far. And there's the same series of battles going on. Very importantly, Israel has been out of Egypt's control for 250 years. 250 years. It's about, well, depending on how you do it, that can be anywhere between 10 and 5 generations of people. Who else do we know that's gotten out of bondage and been out of bondage for almost 250 years? Another country. But 250 years they've been out, and they've begun to forget who God is. They've begun to allow themselves to slowly take on other cultures. At the same time, actually go back real quick, Marilyn. 
At the same time, do you guys see the big tablet to the right? That's written by an Egyptian pharaoh. Pharaoh Merneptah creates something called a stele, which is basically a historical document. So who are the Midianites? They're Egyptians. The Bible is actually an excellent historical document. And here we find a stone tablet found thousands of years later that confirms that the Bible was accurate in the telling of the tale of Gideon, that Egypt has indeed come up and destroyed not just Israel, but all the surrounding areas. In the stele, there's written, the princes are prostrate, saying, prostrate, the princes are prostrate, saying, peace, not one is raising his head among the nine bows. Nine bows is also translated enemies. Now that Tenehu has come to ruin, Hati is pacified. The Canaan area has been plundered into every sort of woe. Ashkelon has been overcome. Gezer has been captured. Yenoam has made non-existent. Israel is laid waste and his seed is not. Why has God allowed all of this to happen? Go ahead, Marilyn. If you go back to your Bible, verses 7 through 10. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent his prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you to the hand of the Egyptian, out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. So who is, who are the gods of Canaan? Well, they're Baal and Asherah. Israel has already broken the first commandment. Baal is a god of fertility. So rain, they pray to him for rain and renewal of the land. And he does this by being intimate with the goddess Asherah. So how do the Israelites and all the other, all the other Canaanites, how do they worship Baal? Well, they typically burn sacrifices to them. They burn sacrifices to this God. And unfortunately, when things are really bad, kids are burned to this God. The other way you can serve the God is by having sex with Asherah priestesses. That's something that clearly we don't have a problem with giving, giving the gifts of God to things that we shouldn't. We don't have a problem with sex anymore. It's glad, I'm glad to see the humans have changed so much in thousands of years of evolution. <clears throat> but interestingly, in this format, God allows all the area, all the worshipers of Baal to be destroyed by the Midianites. Right? God doesn't come in and let, you know, the Canaanites beat the Israelites because that might be perceived in those days and ages, that day and age to say, oh, your God is stronger than our God. We really do need to serve your God. No. God lays waste to everything that Baal oversees. The other problem we really see here too is that at that time, economics is based on a barter system. 
You don't have money. You don't have coin. You don't have trading of precious metals. You have a barter system. I will give you this camel for your two donkeys. I will give you this bushel of wheat for whatever it is you have that I want. We are trading things for goods. They are literally burning through, burning through the birthright that God has created for them in service of another God. Let's look at verse 11 real quick. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was an Ophrah, which belonged to Joas the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. So here's where we find Gideon. Right? We've gone through the entrance to the story. We know where we are. We know what time it is. We know what's going on in history. And now we're introduced to Gideon. And he's doing some solid threshing. How many of you guys have threshed? Any big threshers out there? I had no idea what threshing was. But I have Google. So we went to Google and found out what threshing was. Marilyn, can you throw up threshing? See that guy beating that table with wheat? He is threshing. He is separating seed in the wheat stalk, right? And it's going underneath the slats in the table. Underneath, you, can see, you can't really see it in this picture, but there's a little pile of seeds that are built up through his effort of threshing. Next to him, you see a giant wine press. Well, that's curious. Why would you thresh wheat? Why would you hit wheat against the ground instead of a table or something like that? Um, <clears throat> why would you do it in a wine press? More to the point, they actually had technology back then. They had this large block that had a blade on the front. And you would put it to an ox. And the ox would drag the blade across the wheat. And then the wheat would fall through little holes and basically a table that you had built for the oxen to go around and around. And you just keep doing this. And what happens is the wheat, the the seed is pushed through the holes. And you're left with, great, all this wheat seed that you can ground up and make into flour. On a table, at least you have a table, something your height so you can hit at it. But that's not Gideon. Gideon's in a wine press. Why in the world would Gideon be in the wine press? The Midianites are going around destroying everything at any chance they get. He is hiding his efforts from the Midianites, hoping that they don't find him. But also think about what it means. It means that this man is used to having large fields of wheat with which to, uh, that he needs to come in and, and turn into flour. He owns land. His family owns land. On top of that, they have a giant wine press. You got to imagine back thousands of years ago, even then having a, anybody here have a giant wine press? That's an uncommon thing to have. His family must be of means. We're going to see a little bit in another, uh, in another, section that his family does come from a place of means. Not only do they have means, but his father's probably the most respected man in town. This isn't a poor person doing this. Gideon's in there, bent all the way over, hitting wheat against a wine press so he doesn't get killed. God has literally lowered this people to a position of bondage to the Egyptians. It's fascinating, isn't it? 
God's basically, I don't need you to be in Egypt to have you in bondage. I can have you under the Egyptian's thumb anywhere you are. God has reduced Gideon and his family and his people to nothing. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Sometimes that's translated mighty warrior. Do you think at this moment Gideon feels like a mighty warrior? Or a mighty man of valor going out and conquering his foes? God doesn't see you the way you see you. You look in the mirror and see who you are. God sees everything that you can be. God sees what Gideon is going to become before Gideon does. God gives Gideon clarity in that moment, despite the fact that Gideon can't see it. God is able to engage Gideon in such a way that Gideon replies. And Gideon knows that God is speaking. Now, of course, Gideon appears, I'm sorry, God appears to Gideon, which does, you know, make it a little bit easier. We don't get to have God show up, ring on our doorbell and say, hey, just FYI, man, mighty man of, Scott, mighty man of valor. That hasn't happened to me. But God is faithful to engage. God is faithful to find you. I just gave announcements for a number of things that God needs you to do. God is calling you to serve in the same way he was calling Gideon to serve. Gideon replies back. Gideon says, oh, my Lord, if if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles? Which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Does Gideon feel like the mighty man of valor? No. Things aren't going hot. Things aren't fair. But where is, where is Gideon's humility? What about the fact, oh, hey, don't forget, you've been worshiping other gods for years now. Where's God's lightning bolt? That's what I want to know. Because if I was God, that'd be just, you're done. Next. Who's up next on the list, Archangel? <clears throat> Not God, though. God is happy to allow Gideon to question him and be like, oh, I just don't see it. What's going on here? How do you respond to God? I guess the better question is, do you respond to God? You got to chalk it up to Gideon. Things are rough. He's probably scared that someone's there. Clearly, he knows that this person speaking to him is someone of power because he calls him Lord. Right? Which is a light way of saying he doesn't think he's a common person. He knows something is special about this particular person speaking to him. But Gideon doesn't hold back. Gideon is responding in a way that is very human. Which is another great part about Gideon and all the heroes in the Bible. Think about the heroes in the Bible. Abraham forces out his firstborn and the firstborn's mother. Abraham's firstborn. Because his wife is nagging him and and harping on him to do so. Moses avoids his calling at first. As best he can, he's like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to do that. 
That doesn't sound fun. Aaron, when Moses goes up on Mount Ararat, Aaron, five weeks in, he's like, well, this is done. Let's go ahead and build ourselves a golden calf that we can worship. Five weeks. The heroes of the Bible are you and I. They are common, everyday people. Samson sells his secrets to a prostitute. David sees a hot girl, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, and then kills her husband. Saul hides when God's picking a king. They are us. They are fallible, horrid, wretched people. Just like Gideon. But God still calls you horrible, wretched people. He calls you to serve. And he doesn't give up with Gideon. The Lord turns to Gideon and says, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? God's not like, oh, my bad. I picked the wrong person. Nope. God's like, yeah, I picked you. He will put you in the spot that you need to be. And thank goodness, because we stink at putting ourselves in the spot we need to be. Next slide. Here's a quick history of the world. In the beginning, people ruin everything. Jesus returns. Because we like to lean on our own understanding. You guys are awful at understanding anything. Me included. Tom included. Everybody. We are terrible at understanding things. So stop. I I tell you what you understand. We need VBS helpers. We need people in high school and junior high. We need people teaching the kids. There. God has called you. Stop leaning on, I'm not good with kids. I'm terrible with kids. And they let me teach the high schoolers for like a year. (laughs) You don't have to be good with kids. God is calling you, not your neighbor, you to serve him in some capacity. Just as he is calling Gideon. Good Lord, imagine God coming to Gideon and being, hey Gideon, I need you to get 300 guys together so that we can go defeat hundreds of thousands of Egyptians. Is Gideon going to step up and go, Mimi, please? But God meets Gideon with a simple request. A simple request. Just follow me. Do what I ask. I am calling you in your power. I'm going to give you my power. We're going to do this together. And Gideon replies back, all right, I'm in. By saying, so Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. It's not much of a way to say I'm in. But do you notice what Gideon doesn't say? Gideon doesn't say no, right? Gideon does not say no. He puts up an excuse. Don't get me wrong. Just like we all do. I do it all the time. I'm like, eh, I don't know if I really, I got things to do. We all put up excuses. Gideon, just like you, puts up an excuse and he's like, ah, I don't know if I'm really the guy. But God, in his infinite wisdom, says, You are the guy. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. 
The Midianites will be so easy to defeat. It'll be like one person. Up and at them, cupcake. Let's get to this. You've got an entire nation to destroy like one man. And then Gideon says the same thing that we all say. God, is this really you? Are you really asking me to do this? Let's look and see how he asked this question. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. That's really all of our concern is like, I just want to know it's God. Is it God really calling me? Your sign was in the PowerPoint slide when you showed up. We need help teaching kids. Gideon gets a different sign. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. Oh, I'm sorry. And God said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour, the meat he put in the basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. All right. Y'all go in and get your goat ready to eat. How many of you guys get an ephah of flour to make some bread? I'm guessing not many of you know what an ephah is. I did not know what ephah is, but fortunately Google did. 30 pounds of flour is what the estimate is. Gideon doesn't go in and, you know, get the wonder bread and come out with a small offering. Gideon comes out with 30 pounds of bread. How much is 30 pounds of bread? I don't even know. But the bad part is, too, it isn't real bread, everybody, because... We're in the middle of a famine. Remember, there's been seven years of Midianites destroying everything, right? God wants them to do everything that the opposite of what Baal would do. If Baal would protect something, God destroyed it. If Baal would do that thing, God let the Midianites destroy that. Anything that Baal was allowed to be the God of our God took away and said, no mas. So there's no yeast, So Gideon really brings out 30 pounds of flour tortillas to one degree or another. I'm sure it's non-bread or something like that. But he brings out flourless bread and he cooks a goat. Now again, no idea what that means really in my life. But I looked up goats and then I looked up preparing a goat. Meh, you get 10 to 20 pounds of meat. So let's just say Gideon isn't away for 20 minutes rooting through the fridge. Gideon is gone all day. What would you suspect Gideon is hoping will happen while he is gone? If God came to you and said, hey, you, I need you to go and defeat China. And you're like, okay, God, I want to see if it's really you. I'm going to leave for the day and come back. What are you really hoping is happening in this moment? You're hoping when you get back, 
Nobody's there. Thank you. So glad I don't have to go defeat China. And Gideon comes back. And there is God sitting under the terebinth tree. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. That's quite an answer. And you know, we don't always get Rocks turning into fire and consuming things as an answer. But think about all the things you do have. I would first submit to you, you have the Bible, which we've seen here has been confirmed by independent texts from Egyptians. And it's a fairly easy document to go through and prove to be accurate. Historically, independent verification. I guarantee you Gideon didn't have that. But what does Gideon have? Gideon has faith. Gideon replies, Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Gideon's now worried for his life because all this time he's been given the angel of the Lord sass. But in this moment, this is where it turns around for Gideon for a little while. As we go through the rest of this story, guys, you're going to see that Gideon over and over and over again needs God's reassurance. As you go through your life, as I go through my life, we're asked to serve. Here I am serving Assured in the sense, excited, because Tom mentioned last week that teachers are judged more harshly (laughs) than the rest of us. Great. But God is asking you to serve. He's not asking you to change the world. He's not asking you to go defeat China by yourself. What he's asking you to do is to just be faithful to him In some small way, in some small comparison to the way that he is faithful to you. Next slide, Marilyn. What is God calling you to do? And more importantly, how are you responding? Regardless of age, regardless of what you're good at or not good at, are you responding affirmatively to God? Are you like Gideon... Asking for a sign. What are you saying to God? So, I dare you. Here we go. I dare you to, next, hold fast to your faith when things are darkest. We likely find Gideon with dead relatives, afraid for his own life, probably with his own family. Wondering how he's going to feed them, how he's going to clothe them. They've been doing this for seven years. They live in mountains. I don't know if you guys have been to mountains, but mountains are not a great place to grow food. 
They are there because they're afraid of death on a day-to-day basis. They are in a low point. But God raises up heroes at low points. And I would like to note to you guys, heroes aren't people necessarily that are mentioned in the Bible. You personally have your own heroes, that have, people that have been heroes in small moments for you. But they're heroes nonetheless. You have heroes that are remembered. You have heroes that are not. But heroes are raised up in difficult times. Have faith in those moments. That's the one thing we can point at Gideon and say, hey, the guy had faith in his moment of darkness. Next. I dare you to not say no. Mind you, Gideon didn't say yes. Gideon just didn't say no. Eh, I'm not the guy. Eh, we're getting beat up. Eh, I'm kind of weak. Now, he had all kinds of excuses. Let me leave for a day and come back and see if you're still here. Let me hope that you leave. But he didn't say no. You can be indignant. You can ask God questions. You can worry that, is God really want me to do this? All those things are fine. And evidenced by the fact that God continually, faithfully returns to Gideon. Says, you're my guy. You're my guy. You're still my guy. You're the guy. You're the guy. You're still the guy. Be faithful. God is already faithful to you. Be faithful back. Finally, Gideon's strength is not in his valor yet. God knows it will be. God knows that he will be a mighty warrior. He will be a man of valor. But he isn't yet. God hasn't asked him to be that thing yet. God just knows he will become that thing. Imagine what God will make of you if you just won't say no. You just don't know the hero that God will make you because you look in the mirror and see today. Where God is looking to the future. Gideon's strength isn't in his money. He doesn't have anything. So if you look at yourself and say, ah, oh, I, I need to do this because I need, we don't have, we have problems with finances. Man, I have been there in your shoes. And I can tell you that God can still use you. God doesn't need money to use you to serve him. It's not in his power. Gideon even admits, I'm the weakest in the weakest tribe of the weakest place of the weakest, 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 weakest. But that isn't what God needs either. He doesn't need you to come up here and speak. He doesn't need you to do anything. He just needs you to faithfully serve. That is the legacy of Dave Bennett. Dave was a faithful servant and served where he needed to, not where he wanted to. Let that be the legacy of our church, that we faithfully serve. Even when we don't think we're the right person. Let's pray.
Dear Lord, we come to you fearful at times, uncertain of our job, uncertain of where you're really calling us or if you're really calling us, Father. Lord, I pray that we would be the Gideons. I pray that we would be the people that don't say no, that go forth, not in power, not in wealth, but that we just go forth, that we don't say no. Lord, I thank you for servants that have gone on before us like Dave Bennett, like Marianne Fisher. People that served faithfully, endlessly, Father. People whose loss was not just felt emotionally, but also physically, Father. Tasks that don't get done. Ways that you aren't served where you should be, Father pray that you would raise up the people of this church, Father, to be those servants, Lord. Let us learn from their example. Help us to be faithful back to you, Father. In your name we pray.